Hello, everybody. It's Sean Woolley here from Cloud9 Spain. With me today, I am honoured and delighted to have Mark Stucklin from Spanish Property Insight. Now, Mark, if you haven't heard of him already, is very well known as one of the leading voices in the Spanish property arena. Uh, he is uh, one of the authorities in the industry. He's often quoted by all the, the popular media. So, you know, if you read the Sunday Times, I'm sure you will have come across Mark and 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 uh, seen some of his uh, his columns. And what we're trying to do here is just to create a, a monthly regular get together where we can talk about the Spanish property market from different perspectives. I'll be coming at it more from a, an anecdotal uh, evidential point of view in terms of what's happening here on the ground. But Mark, with his years of experience of data collection and seeing what's happening from the data side of things, it'll be really interesting to see if if his version of the Spanish market marries up to what we're seeing on the on the ground. So welcome along, Mark. Sorry about the long-winded introduction, but it's it's great to have you along for the, the first of what I hope will be many uh, regular discussions and chats and debates. God knows what we'll end up doing, but uh, thank you for, for, for being here. So tell me a little bit about you and your, your background with, uh, with Spanish property, because you're, you're in Barcelona, aren't you? And I'm down in, in Marbella. So already we're, we're sort of both ends of the, of the Spanish mainland. Yeah, two ends of the spectrum. I came to Spain to do an MBA, which is what, we, what brought me to Barcelona. And I met my, uh, my future wife on that course. And I then stayed put in Barcelona uh, after graduating because it's a uh, very nice city to live in. And my wife was here and we considered moving in, in, in following jobs to other cities, but it never happened. So I stayed put. And this was been in, I graduated in 2000. The Spanish property boom was just really kicking off at that time. I went on till about 2006, uh, and it was, in retrospect, turned out to be a massive bubble. But um, there was, because it was a very, it was a growth, a growth business, and uh, my past had been in uh, Havana Cigars, uh, which was not, I didn't, was, wasn't, had been a growth business until about uh, 1998 when I left to do the, do an MBA, uh, but I was also looking for ways to um, to open up alternative career paths outside of the tobacco business because I didn't see it as a very um, long term uh, good bet. I think I was wrong in some respects, but anyway, um, there was a boom boom business in Spain. A lot of foreigners were buying property in uh, on the costas. The Brits were very dominant back then. The data such as there is for foreign demand going back as far as before 2000 is pretty sketchy. And, but I did get data on it that I still have, but I'm not sure, I can't now find that data again in uh, the usual data sets that be like the, the databases of the land registry or the notaries or the government, wherever, wherever I got it from originally, I can't find it again, but it looked like um, you know British demand was, was 50% of the market and mm. was very, very dominant. 50% of the foreign, uh, yeah. foreign, which goes to show there were a lot of, uh, uh, and it wasn't just the Brits, it was a boom. It was a, it was a, a, full, a boom in full swing, uh, especially there was a, an off-plan, an off-plan kind of business going on and some uh, estate agents catering to that foreign demand, especially on the Costa del Sol and the Costa Blanca, some made a lot of money in that in that period. I mean, huge amounts of money. It was just like the Wild West, and it was it was insane. And it, 
and it was a bubble and it all came crashing down. I, I don't know if you remember that period, Sean. I don't know when you started off on the uh, in, I, in business. Yeah, I did. Well, I, I came over here in 2001, so I escaped the UK. So similar timing to you, and I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. So I, I fell into real estate and uh, worked for one of the big companies. You may have remembered uh, Viva Estates. So I, I worked for them for a little time. And then I, like a lot of entrepreneurs, I, I just thought, hang on, I can, I can do this myself. And um, so, yeah, we started Cloud9, I think in 2002 uh, was, the, was the first year we, we operated. And we also were involved in the, um, you know, the selling of off-plan properties. And it, 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 was, it was a bubble. At the time, of course, you never realize it is. And it was a lot of British and Irish, particularly um, buyers. The Irish particularly were, were buying to flip. Uh, so buying speculatively and and um, trading on the on the increase in prices before completion and then and then selling them. But of course, you know that did come to an end. We it's were actually, involved. Yeah. Actually, the subject of an entire session <laughs> yeah, to go is. back and look at what was going on then and analyze it uh, and all, the way it unfolded and what were you know what the different motivations for different groups in that in that in the industry at the time and what became of different. I mean, at the time I was writing a column in the Sunday Times called The Spanish Property Doctor. And, and I didn't just look at the, the uh, Costa del Sol and the Costa Blanca. I was also dealing with the Costa Brava, Barcelona. You know, it was a more, had a broader, a broader um, viewpoint than people maybe just working in an industry, in a sector, on, in a specific territory. But a few, on a, in a few articles, I touched on what was going on and I also wrote about it in my own blog and before long I was getting yeah, I had several very kind of heavy threatening emails from from legal teams in in the like attack dogs like in the UK uh, uh, at me so threatening me with legal action and um, and um, so you know you have to take care but it just that's just a symptom of what a, what a time it was um, I, I, yeah, I, th I think when we all look back, I mean, it was the it was the start of all the cheap airlines, wasn't it? Like EasyJet and Ryanair and, and, and you know, everybody, you know, the world was in a good place. Uh, everyone was earning money uh, and everybody wanted that little piece of real estate in Spain, didn't they? And, and who can blame them? And I and think that, shows, you know, in particular, the TV shows, you know, yeah, yeah. like dozens on different. Well, there were quite a, there was a handful on both terrestrial and like cable channels. Yes. Uh, and all selling the dream. It was sort yes. of like lots of things came together, like you said, cheap, cheap travel. Low, uh, the introduction of the euro had brought down the seeming currency risk and was bringing down uh, interest rates. The you know the internet making all sorts of new lifestyles possible. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a demographic story there as well about the you know the baby boomers coming, retiring, approaching retirement, and looking, thinking about their future and maybe a nice little nice place in Spain for the come out here with one of these inspection trips and end up buying three two to flip and one to keep get it free you know they've just got talked into doing things yeah no, it's 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 true isn't it I mean obviously the market then reached a point I mean, it fell off a cliff didn't it just almost overnight really when the shutters came down on the on the banks and we had the the global sort of financial crisis people just yeah. couldn't access funding the demand for luxury purchases like a second home just collapsed overnight and we were left with with uh, the market crashing effectively as it, I think it did in a lot of places worldwide, but particularly in a second home market like the Costas. So, so when did you start 
collating data and and what is the you know what is the reason behind it well um so I, like I said, I was doing an MBA and then I left and I was looking around for something to do and there was this booming industry, uh, real estate industry and I applied for a few jobs with different companies. That I, I saw job openings uh, and job adverts for, this is in Barcelona, for real estate companies. Mm. And that got me interested in the real estate sector in Spain. And I then joined a startup that was marketing new developments in Spain. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a great experience, but it was very badly, uh, the strategy wasn't very good. You know, we were up in Barcelona trying to market new projects. And in Barcelona at the time, there was very little uh, foreign demand and there was no industry, so to speak, for, you know, there is now, but there wasn't at the time. And so we were trying to compete with the likes of, you know, Viva and Cloud9 from selling from Barcelona and without really the know-how how to do it and certainly not the temperament to do, be able to do it. But yeah. I turned out to be quite good at marketing as in I got lots of uh, PR and, um, and articles because that was sort of had some background in that from, from my previous life. And then I left that. And what I could clearly see from that experience, which only lasted a, a few months, was that there was no data. There were lots of uh, people buying and lots of claims being made, lots of sales, sales claims about where prices are going, where, you know, where the, the volumes are going, uh, the, the, the future based on, none of us unfortunately can see where we you know, have the crystal ball, but you can distort your projections for the future based on uh, how you interpret the past. It was clear that there was just absolutely not, I mean, certainly not in English, any information available to uh, people who are looking to buy in, uh, in, in Spain about the basic stuff, like, you know, um, where, what, what are histor historically or in the, re in the recent quarters or whatever period you're looking at, what, is the what are the trends? So, yeah. uh, and also not just what are the trends, but also what are the costs, what are the pitfalls, what are the risks, but done from a, a non-sales perspective, not actually trying to sell for me, I mean, I was trying to, I was looking for a business model for, so I, I left that company, I set up a, a Spanish, Spanish Property Insight, which is the, the website that I've had running since then, since 2003, I think. And the idea was to provide good quality information, reliable information in English, both on costs, risks, um, issues to, you know, to, to, to think and the process so that, to make it easier for people to get that right, and, and data. But the business model was always in trouble because how do you get people to pay for that? Yeah, and I guess I guess because you're not coming at it from a, a sales angle, you know, you're not trying to flog houses or apartments. I guess that's why you've become the the darling of the media, if you like. They they always come to you for a, a soundbite or a quote or a piece of data because they know that there's no ulterior motive. Yeah, well, you're, they, you're pretty much like, independent. They like an independent voice. They like voices. They like. I mean, I, I know this because I've spent. One of my hats is a journalist. Um, mm -hmm. I wrote for the Sunday Times and I write yeah, for my own blog uh, and for other um, publications as well, always on the subject of just Spanish property and the Spanish property market and journalists. So I'm sometimes in the market for a good voice. I want the, quite, I'm trying to make a point and you want to illustrate it and it's nice to have it presented and given uh, like a personal kind of uh, touch when if it's spoken through someone who knows what they're talking about so you're quoting someone and Absolutely. so that's what that's what um, that's what they like um, and so that, that definitely helped me get a lot of uh, a lot of PR also I just happen to have a lot of data and that's another thing that journalists like. 
And, in, you know, in terms of the data, obviously, if you're sitting in the UK and you're looking at maybe making a purchase in a town or a city, you can you can access so much data, can't you? You can go onto a couple of websites and before you know it, you've found out what that particular property has sold for over the last 20, 30 years. You can you can see all the historical data of the the, the property, the street it's on, the area it's in, in the, the county UK. it's in. It's, it's incredible. But I guess there's none of that here in Spain, is there? Yes, that's the thing. You know, so anyway, I mean, the, what, what I just to rewind a little bit and then address the point of what data is there, what's it good for, how do you get at it, who's using it? The, the, it over the years, the, the, the business model didn't really work. I mean, at the beginning in the boom years, I had some advertisers, the, the developers, and that was, that was perfect, perfectly reasonable and worked quite well. But then the crash, crash came along and all the advertisers dried up. So I then turned to consulting, which was advising the... The, uh, the banks and the funds that were trying to restructure on how, how what, what to do with these repossessed assets of theirs. But lastly, uh, I, uh, I've been focusing really just on d- data and content that's of value or, to people, whether they are buyers, owners, sellers, or, spe- or, or, or especially in the industry. It's like what information is valuable to those different groups and mm both as data that you can process and use in charts and tables, but also in the analysis of that data, which brings me to the present day and what data there is in Spain compared to other countries. Like you said, in the, uh, in the UK and uh, in, in, in the UK, the US and other markets, it's very easy to go online and find exactly, like you said, comparables, like comparables, specific comparables. So you can see I'm looking at, I'm interested in this property and I want to know what's sold around this property in the vicinity. You can set the vicinity to one kilometer, two kilometers to whatever. And then you get a history of sales, which then, you know, no two properties are exactly the same, but you get a very, it's, it's a very useful for giving both buyers and sellers uh, and agents, everyone in the, you know, every, all the actors in the, in, the, in the game, an idea of where prices really are. And that's the one thing. So now, uh, it, it, when people back back in those days when we were both getting going, there wasn't um, much data, and certainly not in English. Now there's a lot more, and some of it's actually quite good. But unfortunately, it's uh, it's in, inaccessible. You have to go to different websites uh, where they may or probably don't offer uh, a version in English, and when it is in English. The, translation is quite you know interesting um and then the format that it's the way that you have to extract the data is extra- it's never user friendly that's what i can say for sure about the, the the different databases and uh online in spain whether it be the government the notaries the registries it's, it's they don't make it easy for you to extract the information and um so that's what i do i get it, all the information from all the public databases but and there's actually quite a lot of good information very good information out there but the one thing there isn't you don't have is the comparables the sales comparables which is almost like the anchor for a, you know in every deal everyone wants to know that buyers want to know that they're not overpaying vendors want to know that they're not under 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 pricing agents want to you know, the, the most a reasonable market price to make a sale happen quickly. And when you, I mean, I've seen this in some areas that I've analyzed where, you know, they're just, everyone's lost. There's like, there's no anchor. Everyone's at sea. The, the buyers can't just don't, they think the prices, they see properties hanging on the market for ages and not selling and the price is not really going down. So that's, that says, tells them one thing that there's no, there's no kind of liquidity and there's no movement. And 
And then um, um, buyers and vendors, on the other hand, they, they go online and, you know, they have to reach a, an, a, a decision on how to go to market, at what price to go to market. And they'll talk to agents, I'm sure. And I'll tell you how I see it. And then you tell me how you see it. Um, that they, you know, they, how, what do I sell for? So they go online and they look at the portals, the dealers, where they're only ever looking at asking prices because that's all there is available. We don't have sales prices. Exactly. Um, so they get a period, so they see, well, my, you know, the guy down the road's asking, I don't know, 500,000, my property's nicer than that, everyone's, of course, everyone's always got a nicer property, so let's make it 520 or something. Um, and then, um, and then, and, and buyers likewise are just seeing asking prices. They don't know the actually sales prices, you know, what, what, what's, what's the closing price? They just don't know. And vendors, at least they've got, and estate agents, they've got their own data from their own sales, but, you know, not, sometimes they don't have enough sales data um, and current sales data to be able to really know what the, what, what, you know, you need to be a big agent with lots of deals and lots of transactions to be able to get a good feeling for a specific type of property in a specific area. What is actually the market price that you then adjust for the, each individual property's characteristics. So that's the one thing I think that makes buyers very nervous because they really don't know if they're being, uh, if the asking price is reasonable because they've got no comparable. Um, and it encourages vendors to ask too much because it'd be un unrealistic expectations. And I guess it leaves you guys in the middle <laughs> trying to try to make, make sense of all of that. How do you see it? It does. You're exactly right. Um, you know, there is, there is nowhere to hang your hat. It's, it's mm -hmm. a lot of it is gut feel. A lot of it is greed and fear and where, where you're positioned within that, that matrix. Mm -hmm. We often get buyers, um, particularly buyers who are used to that, that access to data who come along and say, right, sure. What's this really worth? <laughs> it's worth whatever you or somebody like you is prepared to pay that's that's yeah. the bottom line and which is a horrible thing to have to say because you should be able to say hang on well that one's all for that that one's all for that yeah you know this and i think as estate agents with experience here we can we can rely on that um you know stuff that's happened um during our our work over the over the last couple of decades we can we can understand that okay that that's sold forget the asking price that's sold for five hundred thousand. so this one yep slightly better slightly worse whatever we can then we can then pitch it correctly but i don't know how new agents um you know new to the market who have just landed here from you know planet zonk or whatever i, I don't know how they cope because it's they, they haven't got that that years of of, of experience to say, you know, okay, well, that sold in 2012 for this, and then it sold again in 2015. Very often, if I'm if I'm picking up a new listing and I'm not quite sure of myself in terms of where to pitch something, I'll phone an agent who I know has specialized in that area or sold a few properties in that development over the last few years. I'll pick up the phone and say, you know, Jim, Jenny, you know, what 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 do you think? I'm about to take this on. Do you have any 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 guidelines? And I think it's it's vital to be able to to have that you know support of your fellow agents and your your collaborators so that you you don't over or under pitch things because it that can create carnage. I mean we've we've got situations at the moment. I, I know I've been pretty vocal on uh, on our videos about you know, there's two or three agents out there who are I think creating this bubble at the high end of the market in in Marbella um, where they're almost I can almost imagine them sitting around a table just almost putting figures into a bowl and just drawing them out and saying, yeah, we'll, 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 you know, we'll ask for this. Well, it's not based on a per square meter price. It's not based on, on uh, a, a location price. It's just what they think they can sell it for. And it's 
a crazy way of doing it. But, mm. uh, you know, that's what's happening. Um, yes, I've heard about that. Um, you know, in areas where there is, a, let's say, an ultra high end, which yeah. is Marbella, uh, a little bit in the north Costa Blanca, and mm. then uh, in Barcelona and, and some parts of the Costa Brava, and the Balearics, especially mm. the Balearics. Yeah. Um, there's large parts of the rest of Spain. I mean, there just isn't this ultra high end market. I mean, Madrid, of course. But, um, um, so I've heard that, you know, that um, I've heard agents complaining that um, people put unrealistic uh, prices on. You know, you hear, you hear 70 million, 50 million. I mean, I see them. They, they, and they're always jumped on by the press as well. But like, yeah. It's like, wow, you know, because it's like property porn or it's sort of sensationalist. Yeah, it is, um, yeah. And then, and then you then never hear what it actually sold for, and it probably sold for like a fifty percent discount on the and uh, on the uh, announced go go to market price, and which then so that so that just this distorts people's expectations, it distorts vendors' expectations, it distorts the state agents, who also you know until you get the final price, yeah, um, yeah. and ask me at that end crazy. And that's the problem, isn't it? Is how do we find the, the sold prices? Because obviously we've got the, the advertised prices. They're all over people's websites and portals and God knows where. But is there a way that you can access the data to see what those sold prices are? And how do we then marry them up to what the asking price was? Because it'd be fascinating to see what the differential is. I'm sure it varies month to month, year to year. You know, we've just, you know, post-COVID, we've been very, very busy. We've had that sort of pent up demand of people coming over here and we've actually got a lot of deals away at asking price or even slightly above if it's got to an auction situation which is unheard of really but then other years where it's been a little slower obviously the the asking price has been lower and substantially lower sorry the selling price has been lower or substantially lower what i call the um negotiated discount yeah yeah exactly that's the term so how do we how do we find the sold prices can we do that no um so this is the problem, you know, well, the, the, the notaries and, by, and also the registrars, I mean, the notaries do know the, the declared uh, deed price. Mm. As you may remember, 20 years ago, there used to be a big, uh, a, a much, it was much more common to find a portion, like a, a, they used to pay for a percentage of the deal of the, of the declared, the final price in, not the declared price, the final price in cash under the table. Yeah. It was called yeah. it was called B money. It was called black money <laughs> under the table, undeclared payments, and um, and it used to be especially. I mean, you don't get that in the, when you're buying off-plan new builds, although I guess it was possible. But generally speaking, the off-plan, you know, the two markets, the off-plan, whether under construction or new yeah. finish, where you're dealing with a professional vendor, which is a developer, or uh, resales from private from private um, uh, vendors. So and in the in, on the resales and private, which is the biggest uh, is the is the biggest share of the market. Um, it was common twenty years ago, and it had been common for decades beforehand in Spain. Common practice that you know to to pay in cash for uh, uh, undeclared for say, let's say twenty ten between ten and thirty or even more percent, and that cash was kind of kept under the mattress. Um, yeah. And what was the benefit? Well. It just reduced because the, the transaction cost prices, uh, the transaction costs are quite high in Spain, both taxes and, and like you know notary fees and registry fees and and stamp duty. That all sort of stuff just reduces that and capital gains as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And I don't know what percentage, and I haven't ever seen an estimate of the percentage of of 
deeds of, of sales per year back in let's say 1999 that had a cash and a cash had that but i guess it would have been you know 50 percent yeah, I would have thought so. I would have thought so. And of course, that's that's fine as a model, although it's legal. It's fine as a model if it carries on. But of course, what's happened what's over happened? the last 10 years, it's it's just gone, isn't it? Those those I'd cash say, deals are gone. I mean, I'd say it's almost disappeared. I, once again, I don't have any data, but um, I think it used to be very common. The notary used to get up and leave the room and the buyers and the send the out would come the cash. Now it's just, if I'm, I was talking to a notary friend, it's just, it, it just doesn't happen anymore, which is not to say that it never happens. Yeah, uh, exactly. But it, it is far, far less common. So that means that the deeds price is actually the, a reliable guide to the sales price. Uh, yeah. Whereas it didn't used to be. It might be 20, 10, 20, 30% under the real price. So nowadays the notaries have, let's just assume there's like 100% of uh, sales in, are now you know, fully declared on the, on the price. And that goes into the deeds and that goes into the notaries database, which is, it has a lot of information, very complete. But it doesn't get it, and then they get goes to the land registry. But it's never published. Um, it's never available as to be searched as a database on in the way that we've talked about earlier, as, as like for comparables. It's was extremely valuable, and it would do a huge amount of good to the market by bringing it much more down to reality. It's the lack of information and lack of sales comparables which allows things like bubbles to inflate, or or to, which makes the the you know the ups and downs of the cycle more acute. Absolutely. Uh, so Absolutely. Apparently, I've talked to the notaries and the registrars. It's something to do with data protection laws in Spain um, that the government doesn't allow it, um, and this is a real shame because it would be doing uh, that. It would do the, you know just increase confidence and transparency in the market makes people more. It, it just increases the market in general. Um, mm, absolutely. Market more, more, more efficient. You've, you've given me a little sneak preview um, in the last couple of weeks of your amazing data center, which collates all this information, doesn't it? And, you know, you can then go into different things like areas and types of property and buyer demographic. It's, it's absolutely fascinating and incredibly useful for someone like me. Mm. How useful do you think that would be for a buyer or a seller? What, what can a buyer or a seller do to improve their position and knowledge when it comes to data? Well, I think until now, it was difficult. There's a few, I mean, some estate agents and some portals do get a, a collect data and, and interpret it, but it's at the end of the day, it's you know done for their own agenda. It's, it's there to support their own agenda. And I, you know, everyone knows that and you absolutely can't blame them for it. And um, so what I've gone and done, and it's taken, six months now but it's i'll have it ready it'll be i'll launch it next week or the week after is to gather in all the so i've gone to not all but most of the um the public data so the day there is a lot of public data it comes from the uh, government the, the the housing department which is in within this ministry that's called uh, mitma uh used to be fomento it's now called mitma which is the ministry of uh, travel you know uh, transport and uh, urban agenda and and something like that. And then you get it from the, the, the notaries and the land registry. Uh, the, uh, then you have regional governments like the Junta de Junta de Andalusia or the Generalitat in Catalonia. And they all produce a certain level of data. And then you get the municipal level, you get the, the town halls, um, which small town halls, I don't think. But you know, Marbella Town Hall has a data section. And so what I'm doing is I'm going to all of these different places and just to get public data. And 
and then bring it, but they're, they're all kind of tricky and fiddly. And so I've, I've standardized them all in, in, into table, standardized tables, which make it easy to work with and easy to compare. I'm only bringing together um, public data and I'm adding value by bringing it all together and making it standardized and giving it good graphics. You said earlier that it would be very useful for, the, uh, for people in the industry. And I believe it should be because to, in order to know where the market's headed, you know, you have to have the basics, like uh, the, yeah. the, the sales trend, the price trend, the new supply trend, the mortgage financing trend, uh, the foreign demand, just the basic trends. It's useful to have at your fingertips and also in order to talk to your clients, because how many clients do you ever come deal with who want to know what the market, what the trends are that you can then back up with the data? Every single one of them. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's Maybe always... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's what's always been frustrating. You may have seen uh, myself and Alfredo, we do uh, normally a quarterly kind of market update. And it's based on, as I say, it's based on anecdotal evidence. It's based on a lot of it is gut feeling. A lot of it is obviously related to us and what I'm hearing about the market in general in this in this little area. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's very difficult to to say, and that is backed up by the data showing that over the last three months or 12 months, this has been happening. So, you know, when I say that of our last 26 sales, 22 have been to North Americans, mm-hmm. where's that come from? You know, is it just because the exchange rate is in their favor or is there an underlying trend there that goes back maybe to last year or the year before? So it would be great to be able to confidently talk to a client and give them that anecdotal stuff, uh, which yeah. is not which is not incorrect. It's just a it's a feel for the market, which I think is very useful. But to have that as well as the the, the you know the data that's mm. been collated by someone like yourself who knows what they're doing and how to how to do that would be incredibly powerful. We mm. get asked every day by clients, you know, what's been happening in the market, who's buying. What are happening? What's happening with prices? And of course, the big question: What is going to happen? Mm-hmm. And that's the one we can't answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think, like you said, if you can, if you can give people that knowledge of the trends and what has been happening and who is buying and why they're buying and and a lot of this, there's always a myriad of reasons. You know, there's the, the post-COVID effect. There's, there's the lifestyle changes. There's the home working element now. There's the Brexit has played a part. You know, all these things are kind of all jumbled up and mm-hmm. they all play a part. But to be able to, to actually see the data and mm-hmm. and then talk to a client about what you're feeling on the ground mm-hmm. would be would be incredibly powerful, I think. I'm now going to spend much more time analyzing the data in and actually in and then and we can discuss these this analysis in, in, in sessions like this, but I'm going to written uh, analysis of what's going on in specific markets. And, and I'll be consulting the people on the ground like you about how are you seeing this data that I'm seeing? How, how's that showing up in, on the, at the coalface? Exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because again, there's, there's lots of, of different types of buyers in the mix here. Obviously, you've got your, your Spanish domestic market. And then when you get into the, the tourist areas, you've got what can be predominantly a second home market. I know that in Marbella, obviously there's a domestic market and Spanish mm-hmm. people looking to buy and rent, but there's also a, a large second home buyer market and people buying second homes have different aspirations and different thoughts and different you know, ways that they're going to use the property. So I don't know if your data would, yeah, I don't know if your data would allow those differences to be shown because that's always been the problem, isn't it? That people regard, 
you know, like the Marbella market, if they hear a, or if they see a report saying that, oh, the Spanish housing market is in trouble, actually, like Marbella, Costa del Sol, it's a bubble within the Spanish housing market, and it 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 doesn't have the same forces no, it's a that are completely different segment. Like this, when the in, even in the crash, like the the, the, the Spanish property, so where the bubble burst, it, in in sort of it started deflating in in, in, in 1990 in 2006. But the real kind of ugly, brutal crunch to, didn't come immediately. But, you know, I mean, a new building, uh, so new housing starts fell off a cliff in 2009, uh, in 2008, 2000. I mean, and, and the industry, the building industry, the home building industry in Spain declined by 97%. I mean, you know, it almost disappeared. Oh my God. But in, but in, you know, take a place like Formentera in the Balearics, there was no crisis whatsoever. There was just more demand than the, there was more people trying to buy than than sellers. Like, yeah. like you know, it has been for um, you know, decades. Um, and and so that the, even the brutal crash played out differently in different segments and different regions. And so it's really useful to have a a, a segmented analysis, which is what I'm very much focusing on. I'm not just going to like. I don't like that. In fact, the way that the housing data is reported in the Spanish press is, 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 is unhelpful. They never give any context or any... No. And no. because the, the, the government and the road notaries and the, and the um, registrars and some private companies all publish their own housing market data, like the big picture, and they do it, some do it quarterly, some do it monthly, and like, for example, notaries... Uh, who published the most timely data, although their database is actually terrible to try and extract information from. But um, they do it monthly, and it's referring to sales that they witnessed in the month. And it mm. might be what they've done. They've just released in, here we are in November, they've just released September. But the registrars are um, talking about, they do it quarterly, and it's about deeds that were inscribed in the land register in the registry in that period which is not the same as sales at all so no, no. the government is based on uses evaluations i mean so they're all using different methodologies and different referring to different time frames but it's all reported in the press you might hear one week it says sales boomed in september or something and the next week it sales crashed in september there's absolutely no, no context whatsoever and and the the, the I think it's useful to have a national picture. You can see well, like Spain, it's good to have that picture, prices mm -hmm. and, and sales volumes. But the real story is the segmented, are the segmentations because everyone at the end of the day is buying in a certain segment and they want to know what's happening in that segment. So yeah, I, I definitely uh, spend a lot of time looking at how to segment the data. We're going to be looking, uh, listeners and viewers, we're going to be looking at a lot of these different segments over the forthcoming months. We're going to be, uh, you know, there's so many things we can look at and we can look at the effects of different things that have happened covid brexit lots of different things i'm sure that we'll be discussing over over the forthcoming months but i just wanted to ask you one final question before we before we leave things for today having given people a little taste of of what's to come and how we're going to be trying to get to grips with this market mm -hmm. all the data that you are collating and the data that we as property professionals can use to talk about the past and how the market has developed can we use that to say to people how it's going to head forward, you know, where it's all heading? Do, do you think the data is reliable when looking to the future or can it only really be, be, be used to look at the past? For a lot of the time, the trends are quite predictable, but then they suddenly change. And mm. so we don't know when, I mean, for example, the um, 
home sales in Spain after it was a surprise to see the boom that came after the pandemic. I was genuinely surprised, especially uh, in this in the second home market. And it's been astonishing how strong I mean, demand has been record foreign demand since the travel restrictions ease has been hitting you know, not quite back. I told to start at the beginning, I mentioned at the beginning, there was this like, there's data going back to the to the uh, 2000 early 2000s, which I can't I haven't yet had time. I'm sure I'll get to, get to it somewhere. But where foreign demand was much bigger than it was 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 higher than it is today, and the Brits were very very dominant. Um, but it's been on any record going back to 2007. I think the the you know foreign demand in 2021 and and in the first half of this year is setting new is setting records in, in mm-hmm. like, um, contemporary uh, history, and um, um, that took me by surprise. But you can see that this year, the, um, the trend is clearly, as the year starting, as the years progress, the, the sales growth has been steadily declining. It went from 36% sales growth in January, that's overall, all segments, the whole market combined, down to 0.8% in September. Uh, so we don't know, you know, in, 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 um, in October, I'm not expecting price to see uh, sales growth of 50%. It's easy to say, well, it's going to be around 0%, might be probably even, I would bet I would bet it's going to be negative. So negative sales compared to. So it's useful, you know, you, we don't know what's going to happen for sure, but the trends can be quite good at guiding you to make, to draw conclusions, which is what you in the, in the industry to guide your, to give your clients good advice on, well, you know, um, where are we? Are we in a, in a bubble or are we in a steady market or are we in a slightly declining market and how to pricing decisions to make and how to approach negotiation? That's all useful. So even though we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, that can help guide the decisions you make, uh, always bearing in mind that what might happen tomorrow is you know, a, a complete surprise or a black swan or something like that. Exactly. And who could have predicted Brexit, COVID, war in Ukraine, all those things? Um, the 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 quasi quarteng mini budget so yeah there's lots of there's lots of different things that are are causing these trends to to either continue or to be broken but it's it's fascinating fascinating talking to you mark and thank you so much for making the time i know you're a busy guy you've got a lot on your plate at the moment so thank you for for taking the time to talk with me today and i i hope this is something that we can really get stuck into over the coming months and we can start looking at these these almost um itemized things within the market in general because i know that we're going to get a lot of feedback from our our listeners and viewers and they're going to be asking lots of questions you know ask mark about this ask mark about that so prepare yourself sir for some difficult questions well i'm that's all i'm just looking at the data all day so it'll be you know but i think it'd be very interesting to look at different segments yeah and and then compare and contrast sort of how i what i see in the data and what you see at the, at the exactly front line exactly and between the two of us hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to to point clients in the right direction even if it's not the direction they thought they were going to go in but uh you know at the end of the day as long as we can be open transparent use the data that's there and uh, and guide people that will be uh, i think a, a job well done very thank good. you mark uh, thanks for for coming on and i will see you hopefully next month very good i look forward to it take, take care. care thank you bye bye